0: What our job is, is to help our kids think through these kind of situations when they arise and to have some clarity about what their values are, what their preferences are, what they're interested in or not, what are the potential benefits and risks associated with different options that they might choose. It's about giving them a decision-making process. And if all you do is say, sex is bad, don't do it. They have no way of thinking through the nuances of what could happen.
1: On this episode of the Parenting ADHD Podcast... I'm talking to Dr. Ari Tuckman about relationships, sex, and teens with ADHD. Really nothing was off limits in this conversation as it should be. We as parents really struggle to talk to our kids about this hard stuff, sex, relationships, teen pregnancy, um, STDs or STIs. Porn, watching porn. These are all things that are coming up for our kids. And Dr. Tuckman has offered so many valuable insights and strategies on how to open the door to have conversations with our kids so that we can help them to make good decisions in the moment to keep them safe. So grab a cup of coffee or tea, a glass of wine, and really dive into this excellent conversation to help your kids navigate sex and relationships when they have ADHD. Welcome to the Parenting ADHD Podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHDaholic, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Thanks for joining me on this next episode of the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be talking to Dr. Ari Tuckman. And we are going to be talking about relationships, sex, and teens with ADHD. That scary topic for parents that we tend to kind of want to Bury our heads in the sand, which really is the worst thing that we could possibly do. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you, Dr. Tuckman, and to really dive into how parents can talk to their teens, how they need to prepare them um, to be healthy and safe, and I think even emotionally healthy in these situations um, that start to come up in the teen years. Will you just start by introducing yourself to everyone who's listening, who you are, and what you do?
0: Sure. So I am a psychologist. I'm in private practice. I'm also a certified sex therapist, which is a a credential I added in the last few years. I've, I've been specializing in ADHD for about 20 years now, but have become increasingly interested in how it impacts relationships and how it impacts a couple's sex life. And in that vein, I did a research project and then from that formed the foundation of a book that came out this summer called ADHD After Dark better sex life, better relationship. And it's about, it's for couples where one partner has ADHD and one partner doesn't. And it helps mm. them, as the title suggests, improve their sex life. And from that, you know, it's really about improving your relationship overall. So yeah. learning how to manage ADHD, learning how to negotiate, how to balance each person's needs and how to bring your best to the relationship when ADHD is a part of the mix.
1: Yeah, it's such needed. Conversation that I think we tend to avoid again, you know, just culturally. Let's dive into this conversation. Um, I think, with first, how do we talk to our kids about sex? Um, We know that kids with ADHD um, tend to be more risky. They have a higher instance of teen pregnancy and STDs. And so there's already this, I think, extra risk for our kids with ADHD, how do we start that conversation with them? And, and maybe when? When do we even start talking about it?
0: Right. Yeah. And you know what? You're right. Like, unfortunately, this is kind of another place that ADHD shows up. It's not just in math class, but it right. also shows up in terms of how our kids and teens handle themselves in friendships how they handle themselves in romantic relationships and also in terms of sexual encounters. So as you said, unplanned pregnancies and, you know, STDs or STIs, as they're sometimes also called, you know, it's basically, I mean, just to be simplistic about it, it's that kind of impulsively acting in the moment, you mm-hmm. know, not thinking through the consequences, not thinking about the future, just going with whatever's happening in the moment. Um, right. But, but, you know, some of it may also be in a little bit of a more complex way for both girls and guys, kind of a thing of like I don't know, seeking some validation yeah. in being sexual with someone in a way that they might not otherwise want to do, whether it's just about the attention from that person or whether it's something about kind of the, you know, bigger bragging rights of I've been with this person or I've I'm seen with this person or something. So You know, like that's developmentally normal anyway, as kids and Mm -hmm. teens try to figure that stuff out. But, you know, some of our kids and teens are going to be more vulnerable to that than others and not, and again, not necessarily think through the consequences.
1: Yeah. And I think there's also sometimes this extra component of feeling wanted and needed and seeking that sort of validation in that way.
0: Yeah, you know, because our kids and teens with ADHD, especially if it's undiagnosed or if it's not that well-managed, like they tend to get more negative interactions with other people, which is obviously parents and teachers because they're not doing what they should be doing. Right. But, you know, it's potentially also from, from peers, particularly if you tend to be more hyperactive or impulsive. But even if you're just kind of drifty-wifty, inattentive, like, you know, you get more negative comments. You're not doing mm-hmm. the stuff that somebody is expecting you to do. Um, Absolutely. Now, you know, that may or may not be a, a valid expectation that somebody has of you, but, but still, you know, like they're going to get more criticism. So, you know, that positive feedback, that positive attention, the interest that somebody else might show in you could, I mean, it feels really good for all of us, but some of us might be more, I don't know, More inclined to get caught up in it and to put other considerations aside.
1: Yeah. So how do we start that conversation then with our teens? Are there some kind of warning flags or you know, some sort of identification markers that we can be looking for as parents to say, oh, my child might be, or my teen might be heading in this direction, now would be a good time. Or do we start really early with planting these seeds?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was going to say is hopefully you're not starting these conversations when your kid is a teenager, you know, because I won't say that it's too late, but there's sort of been a a ton of water under the bridge by that point. So, you know, these are preferably these are conversations that begin when they're a kid on kind of broader topics of how do we treat other people? How do we let Mm -hmm. other people treat us? Let's talk about boundaries of, you know, touching people or not. Um, let's talk about respect and being respected. Um, and, you know, how you both, again, how do you treat other people? How do you let other people treat you? So, you know, so like really that's the foundation of where it begins. But then there's also the specific conversations about sex. And that, you know, it's kind of like that old thing, like dog smell fear. You know, I I don't know if that's actually true, but, but when it comes to sex, like kids and teens smell weirdness, you know, like if you get weird when the topic of sex comes up, they are totally picking up on that. And they're probably feeling a little bit weird about it already. So it's kind of like, if they're a little bit anxious and awkward and weird as the adult, they're like, you shouldn't be. So, and particularly if they feel Accurately or not, but if they feel there's this negativity about it, that it's sex is is anxiety provoking, it's risky, it's dangerous, and it's definitely not a thing that we talk about. Um, they're not going to go to the parent when an issue comes up or when yeah. they have a question. So I think the first step, as in so much else of parenting, is about kind of managing our own internal reaction before yeah. we even think about what do we do on the outside.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. You know,
0: our culture in America is, it's very sort of ambivalent about sex because on the one hand, you know, we really are kind of obsessed with it and it's like all over the place and underwear models selling whatever the hell they're selling. And, you know, like there's all of that and there's a bajillion porn sites and everything else. And, you know, 50 shades of gray and whatever. Um, and yet, at the same time, we're kind of judgy and prudish about it also, and especially when it comes to the idea of teenagers having sex um and on the one hand, yeah, like we do want to protect kids from sexual predators, but I think at the same time, like there's this hysteria over it that I think is overblown and doesn't match the real risk of it, which isn't to say that one incident is isn't one too many because it is but the problem is by being like crazy over the top over about something I think actually winds up making people less safe rather than more you know pushing
1: them toward it yeah when you tell a child this is bad we prohibit you you know over my dead body are you gonna do this they're running right in that direction they're going right down that path toward it because you said you know it was something terrible and they can't possibly
0: yeah and basically what you're saying is you cannot talk to me about this yeah you know because or as i sometimes use use the phrase punishing honesty like you cannot punish honesty and expect people to Mm -hmm. tell you things. So, like, if something, I don't know, where it could be like there's some sort of vaguely sexual scene on TV or in a movie or something. And as the parent, you're like, okay, we're turning that off. Now, obviously, it needs to be developmentally appropriate. And obviously, it depends on the kid's age and their maturity and what they understand. So, like, you know, I don't want to go crazy about this. But If it's kind of developmentally appropriate, but it makes you a little bit uncomfortable and you immediately turn it off and make it clear, we're not discussing this, your teen will not come to you when an issue comes up. Mm -hmm. Or if they float something like, you know, they say a friend, you know, my friend Jenny was making out with a boy and you go... Why is she doing? She she's too young for that. We do, how could she do that? What would her parents think? Or you know, you take some judgy, negative, freaking out kind of a response to it. Mm-hmm. You have just told your teen never talk to me about sex. Don't talk to me about your friends. Definitely don't talk to me about your own. Right, and that is yeah. such a missed opportunity. Which it doesn't mean that you have to feel good about Jenny making out with some kid. And it doesn't mean that you're approving and saying, awesome, man, way to go, Jenny, find some other boy to also make out with. Right. Right, But it's like, but it's having the conversation of like, well, what do you think about that? You know, and obviously your kid's got some issue. That's why she's bringing it up to you, you know, or some concerns or something, you know, like, well, How did Jenny feel about it afterwards? Why do you think she did it? What do you think the boy was looking for there? How do you think he feels? You know, like to just have the conversation in that if you can keep your head on in the beginning of the conversation, it may be that it takes you to a whole different place than what you were worried it was going to.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that you patterned that conversation with not putting our own opinion or judgment in there, but asking what they think and helping them to, I think, work through that, work through what they're feeling about it. But then we're also leaving that door wide open for them to be safe, to discuss these things, to feel okay discussing these things with us and getting them to really think them through. Like there's so much... Um, goodness within just asking, how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? Um, very key, I think, piece of that information that you're giving for parents is that's really how we open the door for our kids to talk to us about anything. Yeah. We want to know what they're thinking, what they're doing, what they're feeling. But we often start those conversations with our own stuff. And oh. that's a huge mistake.
0: Well, and especially for a subject like sex, which is really potentially provocative in the sense that it's easy for it to provoke a strong reaction from you. But the problem is, especially if if you've only gotten the very beginning. So, you know, your kid from the backseat of the car says, oh, Jenny was making out with some boy in lunch. If you jump on that and throw your own take on it, you don't know where your kid is coming from. You know, yeah. like you're assuming, maybe, mm-hmm. or you're just, gut, you know, knee-jerk reacting. But it's like you're shutting them down before anything has even happened. You know, so you want to know where your kid is coming from in it. But, you know, but the bigger picture in this is that, obviously, definitely, parents' job is to set limits on their kid's, to set boundaries, to monitor, you know, whatever, whatever. I mean, age appropriately, but you're not going to be with your kid at every moment. So our job is not to say I'm going to make sure you don't have sex before you're ready by locking you in the basement and never letting you mm-hmm. out of the house. Right? Which your we job, do. of course, <laughs> but it's not. But it's not realistic. You know, exactly. Nice people from the state are going to show up and knock on your door. So, mm-hmm. um, so. What our job is, is to help our kids think through these kind of situations when they arise and to have some clarity about what their values are, what their preferences are, what they're interested in or not, what are the potential benefits and risks associated with different options that they might choose. It's about giving them a decision-making process. And if all you do is say, sex is bad, don't do it. They have no way of thinking through the nuances of what could happen. And that means that they're winging it in that heat of the moment, or they have to depend on what their friends are saying, who, by the way, don't know anything more than they do. So, you know, so it's not simply like sex is bad, you're 14, don't do it, right? But it's like, what are the nuances? What if someone you kind of like you know, asks you out and you're really happy about it, but then, you know, they want to take things further than, than you do. What if something is happening in public? Like, do we hold hands in public or do we not? What if you're at a party and someone starts trying to make out with you? You like them and you want things to happen, but is this the right setting for it? Or, you know, what have other people said about this person? Like, do they have good things to say or do they have bad things to say? Like, at what point do you use other people's judgment to inform your own about someone? Mm-hmm. This is a person with a bad track record. You may want to steer clear versus, you know, kind of that whole giving into peer pressure. Like, should you give in or should you not? You know, if your friends are saying you should totally hook up with that person, should you do it or should you not? Or if your friends are saying you shouldn't, don't do it, you know? So these are the nuances and just saying sex is bad, don't do it. It, it misses all these other important conversations.
1: Yeah, and I think our kids attach to the why. You know, when we're explaining this, this is the reason that this isn't maybe the right decision for you right now. You know, we're leading them to making that decision, but in doing so and talking about all those different nuances, we're also explaining why, which I think helps them to really Pull from that in the moment again to remember. Oh, you know, this may not be the right decision right now, even though I'm in the thick of the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Because this, you know, I, I know my own son is very. Um, he needs to know the reason for everything to the point <laughs> of you know making me absolutely crazy. But and and he also has autism, and I think that's a lot of those characteristics too. But I think. There's so many kids with ADHD that are literal thinkers and that really need that connection to a reason. And by having that conversation the way you're describing and laying out and discussing all of these different nuances, we're, you know, feeding all of that into their brain for them to draw on later. And I think they're more likely to draw on that later when there's really um, very understandable reasons that they can pull from.
0: Exactly. I mean, if you simply say, don't do this, then they don't have anything to draw from. Right. Um, whereas if, you, if they understand the why, that is what enables them to generalize. You know, mom and dad never spoke about this scenario and yet here I am. So how do you handle that? And how do you think it through? And how do you act in a way that, that kind of matches up with your values, with how you see yourself, with how you want to be seen by others.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, this is the real strategy to prepare our kids in the moment. Um, That was something that a note that I had made that I wanted to discuss with you in this conversation. And we've really come to it organically, but, you know, the strategies to help them make good decisions. I think that's really the key is that we've already talked about all of these different possibilities and what they should be considering and how they're thinking and feeling about these different scenarios so that they're prepared in the moment. We're kind of pre-preparing them.
0: Right, exactly. And, you know, there are some people who have this kind of idea that if you talk about a subject, it gives them permission to do it. Mm. And, you know, like on the one hand, I suppose I vaguely understand that line of thought, but at the same time, like, fear not, you do not need to be the one to introduce a topic of sex to your teens. You know, like if you don't say anything about it, it's not like they're going to be unaware of it. You know, same thing about like, you know, vaping or drinking or whatever, you know, like they will come to know about this subject way before you think they will. And, you know, you're not giving permission by having a conversation about it. So, you know, like these abstinence only sex ed programs actually lead to more unplanned pregnancies and more sexually transmitted infections. Like they are not effective. So, Speaking of it doesn't mean approval of it. You know, it's sort of like, I don't know, we can talk about murder as a thing and it doesn't mean that we're like pro murder, you know, so to be able to talk about it, to accept the fact that your kids will probably do some things that you wish they didn't, you know, but, but that doesn't, that's not limited to sex that applies to like all sorts of stuff. So, you know, so to be able to talk about it, to know where to set the boundaries And where to give your kids some freedom in that, you know, if you're too tight on the boundaries, then it just becomes like they just find some other place or, you know, when they finally leave the home, they then, you know, kind of overdo it because now they finally have the opportunity to do so.
1: Right. That's really key. You know, so many times parents choose to avoid something. It's too uncomfortable. The thought of maybe it happening is too painful. Um, But then we're not preparing our kids and we're also sending that message about it. If you don't talk about sex or if you have, like you were saying, that abstinence only perspective, then you are attaching all of these um, judgments and emotions to it for your child, whether you're trying to or not, whether that was your intention or not. It's going to happen, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it absolutely is. You know, like silence speaks volumes and they will make assumptions about why you are being silent that may or may not match up with the reasons why you are. So it's a thing of being able to have the conversations about sex and about, let's just say, relationships more broadly so that your, your kids can make good, informed decisions. I mean, yep. kids with ADHD are still going to be impulsive and they're still going to, you know, do some things that you kind of, that they will then regret afterwards. But we want to reduce the extent to which that happens. Yeah. So, you know, this is kind of another good reason for our kids with ADHD to take medication on the weekends if they're mm-hmm. driving, especially to make sure that their medication is active in the evening as well, and not just for the school day, you know, this is about more than just paying attention in math class.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it helps them to focus on decision-making, problem-solving, where as without many people will just act on instinct almost, there won't be any thought to it, it's it, which is the definition of impulsivity. It's just happening yeah. before you think about it. Um, how do we keep our kids safe then? So we're talking about, you know, teenagers having sex, unwanted pregnancy, STDs or STIs. Um, you know, I remember a time when I was in college, I actually had an internship at the local AIDS nonprofit service um, in the early nineties or mid nineties. And Hmm. there was this big um, clash between these two um, schools of thought about providing protection to kids, you know, with the AIDS network, anybody could come, they could get condoms, they could, you know, get information on safe sex. And there was a whole population of people who felt like that was giving permission to, engage in risky behavior or for teen sex or sex out of wedlock, you know, all of these things. So as a parent with a kid who probably is engaging in more risky behavior than a neurotypical kid, where do we land in that to ultimately make sure that they're safe?
0: Right, right. So, you know, I think it begins by eliminating the fallacy that kids need permission from the adults around them to have sex. Mm. Like it's crazy. They will have sex regardless of whether you tell them they should or shouldn't. So this idea that providing condoms is somehow condoning it is not true in that, you know, it's not simply here's a box of condoms. Good luck. Um, But it, you know, but it's part of a more comprehensive package of let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about what it means to be sexual. Let's talk about, you know, how do we treat other people and how do we let other people treat us? Let's talk about what are the unintended consequences that even with condoms, things happen. You know, nothing is 100% perfect. and Opening yet, the it's door con-
1: for that conversation, yeah. really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that, you know, it's normal to have sexual desire. Like that is a normal thing. The species would die out without it. But just because you have a desire doesn't mean that you act on it. I mean, I have a desire to move to Jamaica now that it's, you know, cold and snowing. (laughs) Right. right? But, but I'm not pricing real estate, you know, so like I have lots of desires, but I don't want to act on most of them. So, you know, normalizing the desire and yet holding a line on I mean, you know on what they do, which is exactly the same when your kids are younger. I understand you're angry, but you still don't hit your little brother. We mm-hmm. can split the difference on that, so or we can feel it and yet not act on it. So the conversation about here are condoms is part of a larger conversation.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really. Valid point that I want parents to hear that by providing the tools to be safe, if they're choosing to go down that path, we are opening the door for that conversation about whether or not it's the right choice for them. And again, we're we're asking their thoughts and feelings instead of putting our thoughts and feelings on them in those conversations, which right. I think is just so key.
0: Or at least beginning with what are their thoughts and feelings, you know. Right. So, right. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. have,
1: obviously we have to add our guidance in it, but not just closing the door right away. Not saying sex is bad when you're a teenager. You can't do this. Your life will be over. What, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, we fall into that trap as parents of overstating things and overstating risk and consequences sometimes when we feel really strongly about how our kids are going to act.
0: Yeah. And the problem of overstating is if your kids figure out accurately or not, but figure out that really actually the consequences are not as bad, then they kind of disregard all of the rest of what you're saying. So
1: They've shut uh, down because you've shut them down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, Within all this, again, there's definitely a place for limits and barriers. So, like, if your 15-year-old wants to go over to, you know, their boyfriend or girlfriend's house or some kid they're hot on, um, you know, when their parents are not going to be there, mm-hmm. you know, like, that might be a thing where you're like, um, yeah, I don't think we're going to do that. Right. You know, I, I don't really love that idea. So, you know, so it doesn't mean that you don't put limits because absolutely you do. And often kids with ADHD need more limits, more oversight than some kids without ADHD. So like, you know, absolutely. I don't want to you know make this out like, you know, you give your kids free reign because definitely that's not the case. But it's part of kind of that bigger package of setting limits and boundaries, helping them understand why you are, even though they're not going to be happy with it often. Um, but then also giving them a decision-making framework for those moments where they're not under your eyesight and within your limits.
1: Right. Yeah, that framework. I like that you use that word. That's really valuable. You know, because I, I talk a lot with parents of kids with ADHD about the scaffolding type of support that we won't, don't want to do for our kids and we don't want to make decisions for our kids. We want to teach our kids to make good decisions for themselves. And sometimes that process is not innate for our kids. And so when we talk about things or when we even kind of talk our own thought processes out loud for our kids to show how we do it, Um, we're laying that framework, we're offering them that framework that they take with them. Um, so I think that's so key.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is what parenting is, you know, it
1: really is for everybody, but so much for
0: us with kids with ADHD. Yeah. It's about keeping our kids safe until they reach adulthood. So not allowing the world to kill them or them to kill themselves off in the process Mm -hmm. Um, and instilling, you know, a good decision-making process and good, you know, values and, and everything else. So, so it's both, it's setting the limits and also giving them the right amount of freedom, like, which means the amount that they can handle well.
1: Yeah, that's so good. Let's shift just for a minute at the end of our conversation here to talk about the nuances of relationships. And so many of our kids with ADHD have big emotions. They get really attached. There's the idea of rejection sensitive dysphoria and, you know, feeling those things that happen in relationships so much bigger, or taking them so much more personally. And I wanted to talk just a minute about kind of helping our kids through some of that too identify the emotions, but to help them maybe sort of rein them in. Like my own son, he had um, his first girlfriend, they call it girlfriend. It wasn't really what I, you know, they saw each other yeah. at school and said, Hey, we're together. in like ninth grade. And he was so Broken for a while when it didn't work out. And he translated that into, I'm never going to have anyone. I'm going to be alone forever. And even now at 17, he still says that, that, you know, nobody wants him. Nobody wants to be with him. He had somewhere gotten this idea that, you know, your first relationship or something is for life. And it's been really challenging to help him see that. Most people go through a lot of relationships in order to find that, that person, your person that you really right. meld with, that you can spend your life with or a ton of your time with. Um, so I wanted to get your input on that. Like, How do we balance those big emotions that already come with relationships with that sort of extra sensitivity that a lot of our kids have?
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, so I think it's that's one of those things to sort of challenge, however gently or directly, this idea that the first one is the one. Right. And, you know, so wherever it is that he got that idea to really sort of challenge it and, you know, to frame it as, you know what, most people have a bunch of relationships before they get married because the way you figure out who you want to be with and who's going to want to be with you and how to do relationships well is by having a bunch of them beforehand. And some of them are going to be totally fling, nothing. And some of them are going to be more serious than others. And, you know, it's like anything else. We figure it out from experience. So, Mm -hmm. but, you know, this could also be a, a place where you can kind of call back to things that happened in friendships. So, You know, that, you know, who are your best friends now? Well, okay, you didn't know her in first grade. So by your reasoning, I guess you should only be friends with the people that you knew in first grade, right? You know, something like that, you know, and sort of call back. And to say, you know what, sometimes friendships end. Remember when, you know, with Pat, like he stopped coming around, you guys weren't friends, you changed classes or he moved or whatever. And like, that was really hard and that sucked. But, but you know what, life goes on. Like you have other friends now and so does he. Like this is the stuff that happens in life.
1: yeah. Yeah, and so many conversations, you know, we we all have multiple relationships or most of us before we find that person. Um, I think under the weight of feeling kind of rejected, that's hard for them to process. But I yeah. think, you know, just showing empathy, and this is something I talk about so much with the parents that I work with, is showing empathy alone in any situation is Monumentally um, helpful. It just changes the dynamic completely. And we're saying how you're feeling is appropriate, and other people feel it too. And yes, it's hard and it hurts, but you're not the only one. Because I think so much of the time, our kids feel like they're the only ones who have these particular different struggles. And a lot of it really is just childhood or the teen years, adolescence, you know? So, just reminding them that their feelings are valid. And yes, this, you know, this hurts and it's unfortunate, but it is also part of life. It's part of the process of getting to that relationship that's really a value add for your life.
0: Right. Yeah, and that like anything, there's no benefits gained without also some risk.
1: Mm, yeah,
0: you know, yeah, and you that, have to put yourself
1: out there.
0: Yeah, and that you know, it may be if they dated someone for two weeks and then they broke up. For you, it might be like, bah, well, like seriously, you're upset about that. But for you know him or her, this might be the end of the world. And at least mm-hmm. for you know the moment, so like you said, and to empathically acknowledge it, like, yes, this, this is hard. And also I hate to say it, you will get hurt again. You know, like that, that is the truth of it. And yet it's good enough when it's good that we keep coming back, you know, like this is what we do, but the thing to do is to learn from it. Like what, how are you smarter and wiser now afterwards having suffered Compared to where you were beforehand, because otherwise, you're just suffering for nothing. And that kind of sucks to suffer with no benefit from it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the key to relationships is to get better at them. So what lessons are you learning from it?
1: Yeah, such valuable information. And we have crammed... So much into this episode, which I'm so happy about because this is something that I just don't feel like. It's talked about enough in parenting circles um, and even ADHD, even when we're talking about a population in adolescence that's more at risk, and we're still not really talking about it that much. and it's it's just so needed. and I so appreciate you sharing your time and your wisdom on this topic and and that we can really share it with this audience who I know is going to benefit. Even, you know, parents of younger kids who are listening are going to start to think about this earlier. You know, we do tend to wait until adolescence before we think about sex and our kids. And that's a big mistake. We need to be talking about relationships and stuff long before that. So, so valuable, so valuable. Anything else that you wanted to be sure to add before we close? Yeah, let me,
0: let's add on this. We'll sort of, if we haven't scared everybody off yet, we'll, (laughs) we'll scare them away with the last one. So um, let's just briefly touch on the topic of porn because, you know, it's like, you can't not. So So here's the thing. I don't advocate teenagers watching porn, but I also don't advocate teenagers vaping driving too fast and, you know, cheating on math tests. And yet this is a thing that happens. So um, here's the thing. If if you don't talk to your kids about sex or if somebody isn't talking to your kids about sex, where they will learn about sex is from their phones. And porn is the biggest sex ed teacher in our country at this time which is sort of like learning how to drive by watching the fast and the furious, you know, porn is not real life. Like it isn't, there are so many things that porn teaches that is not what real life looks like. And there's lots of stuff that doesn't get taught in porn that should be. So basically everything that we've just been talking about. So porn is media in the same way that everything else is media. And, you know, most of it's junk. Most of it is about lowest common denominator or search terms or hits or whatever, Um, which isn't to say that there isn't a place in the world for porn. I'm not going to say that you should or shouldn't watch it as an adult. But if you can't have a conversation with your teen and possibly even kid about about porn They're just going to find it on their own and then, you know, make up their own decisions about what it does or doesn't mean. So, um, you don't want to shame your kids about it. You don't want to freak out or yell at them or ground them. You know, certainly you may say, okay, you know what, I think I need to put some restrictions or I need to monitor more what you're doing. Like, absolutely, sure. But it again, it's that sort of acknowledging, like, it is okay to be curious about this. It's okay to be interested in this stuff. And yet, it doesn't mean that you need to actually watch it. And, right. you know, we we should probably relate it to this talk about, like, sex thing. You know, taking pictures, sending pictures, asking for pictures, sending a picture from somebody else, or forwarding on pictures. Um although some of the laws are changing a little bit on this, like God help you if you get caught up in some of that stuff, especially if you're sending somebody else's picture. It's one thing if you take a picture of yourself and send it, but if you forward that on to somebody else or show it to someone else, and then it's part of that broader social media conversation of once it gets put in writing, it's there forever. You can't control who else sees it, blah, blah, blah. Right. So like, this is all part of much larger conversations. Yeah. But it's kind of helping our kids understand how this stuff all works and to not, in a bit of a kind of short-sighted, unaware, blind kind of a way, just like do something that then later they regret. Um, And that Mm -hmm. to really sort of convey the idea that what is shown in porn is not what real sex looks like. It's not what real bodies look like. It's not what most people do. I mean, some people do it, but you know, mostly that's not really what people are doing in real life. So do not model anything on porn. And again, like you use Fast and the Furious as an example. It's like, you know, you don't watch Fast and Furious to figure out how to like, you know, get through traffic jams or something. Right, so
1: right.
0: you know, it's just it's not real life. It's not reality.
1: Yeah. And it, you know, this is a problem for a great deal of the ADHD population. And we, you know, I personally have been through this too. There was a day where I went, wow, that's not what he should be watching. And completely naive, really, about what was available online and what my child could get a hold of. And I I admit, I had no parental controls in place because my son and interactions with me seemed to really not go there. And it was just that he wasn't talking about it with me. You know, I was just, I really did have my head in the sand on this stuff. And it was a big wake up call as to, you know, what he's seeing, what he's, even maybe interested in at that point you know what he's already thinking about and and how to protect him and we've also had that conversation about photographs and you know if somebody's texting you a racy photograph you can't share it but you also can't reciprocate because there could be humongous legal you know criminal consequences to that at certain ages um, you know if it's found if it's right. brought to light and so that's been, you know, conversations that I never imagined I would be having, but I should have known that I needed to, you know, I feel like yeah. that was a big aha uh-huh for me that there's so much more out there now than when we were kids. There's so much more access to things that we just didn't necessarily in our generation have to think so much about. Yeah. Um And now as parents, we're parenting in this whole different world um, that our kids are really growing up with and we really need to be aware and we really need to be okay with having those conversations, um, with starting those conversations earlier so that they have more of a healthy take on it, like you said. Yeah, because I mean, the thing
0: is, even if your son isn't there yet, like he wouldn't of his own volition seek something like that out. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have some friend who forwards him something. Right. You know, because that friend is kind of there or that friend has an older sibling who, you know, increases your the friend's kind of level of exposure and maybe maturity. So so, yeah, like that stuff will come to them whether they seek it out or not. You know, so you need to kind of get in front of it. But by being able to have these, by having these conversations, you show your kid that you're an askable adult. I'm Mm -hmm. kind of stealing that phrase from somebody else, but that you're askable. Like, so when they do, you know, someone sends them some like crazy, ridiculous picture, you know, screenshotted off the internet somewhere that they can bring it to you and say, like, what the hell is going on here? Like, what is up with this? Um, because it can be scary and traumatic. And, you know, like, you want your kid to be able to bring that to you and not to get some crazy idea of, like, oh, I guess that's I guess that's what's expected of me. Or I guess that's what everybody else is doing. Like, that, that old fallacy um, yeah. of, like, yeah, no, seriously, like, most people are not. And of those who are probably most of them aren't actually that into it themselves. They just feel like they need to. So like, don't buy into this. Everybody's doing it, you know, myth. Um. So, so yeah, it's like having those conversations and showing that you're askable.
1: Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up before we closed, because that really is a concern for so many parents. And I see it more and more in, Facebook groups and forums on ADHD and parenting, um, parents, you know, finding out that their child was watching or looking at porn, and they're just mortified because that's kind of the way we were taught to be in our generation, and um, it's just changed, and we have to change with it. And we have to be open to having those discussions. We just can't avoid hard topics with our kids because we're, we're sending them a message by doing that. And it's the message that we don't want to give them.
0: Right. Yeah. You want to have some input on these things. And if you remain silent, you abdicate your opportunity.
1: Yeah. So important. Thank you so much for... Being here on this episode, Dr. Tuckman, I want everybody to know that Dr. Tuckman has offered a free sample chapter of his new book for everyone listening that will be available to you in the show notes, along with a link to the book to purchase and website and any other information to help you connect with Dr. Tuckman and his work um, in ADHD and in relationships and sex as well and you can find those show notes at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 076 for episode 76 and with that we'll close this episode thanks again thanks for joining me on the parenting adhd podcast if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe and share And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com.